0: Ben, for the love of God, please stop talking about hockey. We have a show to do. But
1: <laughs> well, That's my opening bit, but okay, I won't. Somehow I'll get through the opening bit without talking about my, what I'm talking about in my opening bit. Wow, that's hard to say. <laughs> he just
0: was, wouldn't stop talking about the Blackhawks before the show the started.
1: Way, Can I just say one thing before we get going? We're yeah. taping, right? We're recording. It. Oh, excuse me, recording. Uh, good news. I right? just want to say a little good news. What's that? My Sun-Times from yesterday showed up in today's packet.
0: How hey, there we go. They're trying to they're trying a new approach there at the Sun Times. Day late news.
1: <laughs> There's a song by the Rolling Stones. I think Michael Girardi is probably the only one who may know it. it's called Who Wants Yesterday's Papers. Very Who funny. Uh, the,
0: <laughs> that song sucks. Uh, <laughs> the two people that are on the stream right now, uh, Bruce, Bruce, and HM, they mentioned yesterday they also did not get their papers, but they said they got today's and yesterday's paper as well. Yes,
1: it is. It w- I was not alone. You know, I, I thought it was like a it was a paranoid thing that sometimes doesn't like me because I made fun of their Bears coverage. It's a little over the top, guys. Just saying, but it turns out it's not personal. Okay, The whole system fell apart, and they delivered yesterday's paper with today's news, D, which enabled me to see another great picture of Johnny C. Oh, John man. Catanzara, the Chicago Sun-Times, has a little bit of a crush on him, let's just say, and he's standing out. It looks like he's wearing a Kansas City Royals shirt. I don't know. Johnny C, you don't live in Kansas City. You live in Chicago.
0: Is he wearing I one he of those focus. Chicago, like that new uniform they had over the, over the season? Remember they had that little one-time... Who? Sometimes, uh oh, you the, mean the Cubs? the Cubs and the White Sox yeah. had the
1: like the hometown thing? Yeah, and the yeah. Cubs and their idiocy took Wrigleyville. Yeah. Yeah. Wrigleyville? There's not even a Wrigleyville. Uh, no, it's a baby blue shirt. And it's the Kansas City Royal color, whether it's the Kansas City Royal shirt, I don't know. But, you know, Ty's a good-looking guy.
0: No matter what he wears, he looks good, D, so happy to report that. Oh,
1: Monroe Anderson has joined us. Monroe Anderson has joined us.
0: All right, everybody. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, October 27th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, Chicago Teachers Union, and... Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go? Where to no oh, I can't even talk. Where to go? What to do? What to eat? What to drink? What kind of pot to smoke? And so much more. Monroe Anderson left. I'm sorry. Is it something I said? <laughs> Who was it yesterday? Remember, David Glowads came on and then yeah. just
1: disappeared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's my guest? You know,
0: I'm not going to sit here until I'm really ready to go on. Okay. <laughs> Chicago Reader, subscribe. ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarovsky. J O R A V is in victory. S K Y. It is Wednesday, October 27th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson, and the only guest on our program who joins the live stream chat <laughs> on the day that he's going to be on the show, Sergio Mims. <laughs> And now your host, I promise you'll never find him on any live stream chat ever. Uh, Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody. (laughs) Ben Jarofsky here, we're calling this. Here come the Hawks
1: Wednesday and here's why. My not so beloved Chicago Blackhawks are in a heap of trouble. I say not so beloved, they're not beloved at all. I am not, repeat, not a Blackhawks fan. Everybody knows this. Well, not everybody knows this. Anybody who knows me knows this. Not a hockey fan. Don't follow the Hawks. In fact, I find them an annoyance. I must just confess that. Like, their presence in the sports page annoys me. I I admit that. Because it's like, they're taking real estate away from my beloved Chicago Bulls. And it's really hard to get into the sports page anyway, as I've said, because the Chicago Bears dominate. Like, the Sun-Times, the Chicago Bears burped live coverage. Five. Anyway. Chicago Blackhawks, the papers are filled with articles about the Blackhawks, the headline in The Bright One, uh, which managed to find its way to me. God bless The Bright One. Hawks, tarnished cup. We've talked about this briefly in the past. Uh, The Chicago Blackhawks, what a scandal. Damn. In 2010, when the Chicago, by by the way, I'm going to explain this for all you uh, political junkies out there, because I realize, I know, I know most of the people who listen to the show are lefties. Political junkies—they don't follow sports. They certainly aren't. If there's any sport, they're not. They're not going to be following hockey. In fact, I only know one lefty—the PR person for the Chicago Teachers Union. I will not name her name because they'll probably kick her out of lefty circles. But she loves the Blackhawks. Anyway. One lefty, one lefty in Chicago loves the Blackhawks. Monroe's laughing. He's never watched a hockey game in his life. Anyway, but Chicago Blackhawks.
2: Uh, a friend of mine did, uh, John White. He's now dead. But we worked at the Tribune together back in the um, early 80s. And he went to a Blackhawks game. He's he's black. He was he's, black- oh, my God.
1: You know what? It's interesting, folks. Yeah. Be a black person and go to a Blackhawks game. That is a fascinating case oh, well, study.
2: Report because at that time, they had a black player. In the 80s? Yeah. Who? Well, you'll know, never remember. They, they did not treat... They were very polite to him. He, they gave him all the love as a black person at a Trump rally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> at a Trump rally, they conveniently position the black person behind Trump.
2: Right. As if to the say, black for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> all one of us,
1: <laughs> it's a little like uh, black uh, people in Chicago at hockey games here. Have a seat. Anyway, let's go back to uh, the Chicago Blackhawks in 2010 when they won their first of the most recent Stanley cups. Uh, they had a uh, strength coach, uh, who was sexually harassing and abusing one of their players, threatening to hit him with a baseball bat, not making this up if he didn't uh, succumb. Uh, the um, the player told another person in the uh, Blackhawks organization what happened. That person dutifully told uh, the uh, the bosses of the Chicago Blackhawks, the general manager and the coach, were alerted of the fact. And they had a meeting, Monroe, right before a crucial game in the playoffs to discuss this uh allegation of sexual assault involving a coach and they came to the decision that to raise it as an issue would be to deter them from their goal of winning at the Stanley Cup and so they just buried it right. as an it just it's a, let's not discuss it and in fact at the end of the year uh, when they won the championship, they allowed the uh, the coach who did the sexual assault to celebrate with the team. They put his name on the Stanley Cup, which is this thing, this thing that looks like a tin cup that they give hockey teams when they win the championship. I'm helping you out, non-sports fans. It's called the Stanley Cup because there's literally this giant cup that they give the winning team.
2: Did you know that, Monroe, that there's such yeah, a thing? It's a big, It's a big, ugly cup.
1: It's a big, ugly cup handles on it to match a big, ugly sport. So they give him this big old cup and they etch the names of all the players in the organization, all the members of the organization who contributed to winning that big, ugly cup. And one of the names put on that big, ugly cup was the guy, the predator. And they also put on the cup, obviously, the coach, the general manager, all the people look the other way.
2: The the general manager who got fired yesterday.
1: Yeah. conveniently, Uh, We'll get to that.
2: It was his first year.
1: No, that general manager's been around for about ten years. See, yeah, right.
2: Ten <laughs> yeah. years. It was ten
1: years ago. Oh, I thought you said his first year. My bad. Yeah, right.
2: His first okay. year. Right.
1: So, anyway, uh, back uh, to the story. So the, the newspapers are outraged. You know, oh, this is horrible. So I'm going to read you. This is from uh, Steve Greenberg's column in today's Bright One. Lots of shame to go around. Denouncing the Chicago Blackhawks uh for looking the other way in the and by the way just one more one more thing you should know Monroe I don't know if you saw this part so when the when the uh coach left <laughs> this is when the coach left he didn't leave in disgrace from the Blackhawks they just kind of quietly ushered him out the back door and apparently allegedly they wrote a letter of recommendation on, on his behalf that he was used to get another job uh with like a high school team or a college team in Michigan and guess what Turns out he was yeah. alleged to have sexually molested or someone up there. Right. So nice. It's like kind of like, remember how Catholic Church would just like pass on these abusive priests from one parish to another? And a really ugly, embarrassing, horrible uh, scandal that the Blackhawks are facing. And here's what uh, Steve Greenberg has to say, Monroe. And I'm, I'm going to turn this one out. I'll have a little discussion about this. Steve Greenberg, a columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, opining about this scandal that's engulfed uh, his beloved Blackhawks. He apparently is a Blackhawks fan, unlike Monroe and me. Um, uh, After resigning Tuesday, Scott Bowman, the general manager, offered a careful In a careful, scanty statement, quote, I relied on the direction of my superior that he would take appropriate action. Looking back, not knowing he did not handle the matter properly, I regret assuming he would do so, end of quote. I assume that the leader uh, that he's referring to is a guy named John McDonough, McDonough, another big shot at the Blackhawks. Here's what Greenberg writes. The words of a leader? No actions speak louder and bowman quenville and all the others should be ashamed of their spineless roles in the tarnishing of a championship legacy Hmm. now monroe when i read this it occurred to me i don't believe that any blackhawk fan in the city of chicago would have disagreed with the policy of burying this scandal In fact, I'm not even sure that all the sports writers in Chicago who are up in arms about this would have been leading the charge. You know why? Because at the moment that scandal first emerged, at the moment that story of the sexual abuse first emerged, the Blackhawks were in the midst of a heated battle for the Stanley Cup championship. They wanted to get that big, ugly cup to raise it so all their little Blackhawk fans could go cheer. Right, Monroe? And so yes. you tell me
2: it, it, and I I I I had a thought about this.
1: Wait, hold on, let me just finish. Okay. You tell me if right. the leadership of the Chicago Blackhawks at that crucial moment would have revealed this allegation of sexual assault that what might have distracted their precious little players from winning that tin cup or whatever that thing is. You think Chicago Blackhawk fans, which would have been on the
2: side of the player, who have been assaulted? They would have said, shut up. He'd Quit being a like, baby. a like fan for the Cubs. You know the guy that caught the ball. Yeah, <laughs>
1: Bartman. Did he didn't catch the. Yeah, did he catch the ball?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, he did. He didn't catch it? Yeah, he didn't just the bat it away. From him. Was supposed to catch it. it yeah, Lou was supposed to catch.
1: It would have been like they would have mad at. You're exactly right. <laughs> they would have been mad at the guy. So I'm just saying, this Steve Greenberg, you know, you're t- talking ten years after the fact. Blackhawk fans would have been so mad at that player.
2: Okay, and let me point out something about yes. the firing. Go ahead. That happened yesterday. Uh huh. The Blackhawks are 3 0. Oh. I mean, no. zero. zero yeah. They have won a game. They've lost three yes, games. Yes,
1: That's correct. Let's they, get it right.
2: Yeah. Right, exactly. If they were on their way to another championship, He might still have his job. Yeah, they would have been
1: like, well, maybe a suspension is in (laughs) line.
2: (laughs) A a one-week suspension.
1: (laughs) Uh, Let me just say this, you sports fans out there. Don't act all high high and mighty. Mike Royko, the great Mike Royko, once said about sports fans, you're talking about Cubs fans, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, if Adolf Hitler could uh, hit the curveball and play good shortstop, Cubs fans would be like, you know, he's... He's not a bad guy. Why do you got to bring politics into this? That was Mike Royko's line. The great Mike Royko, columnist for the Chicago Daily News for many years in the Sun Times, uh, and he also had a stint at the tribunal. Let's not discuss that. Anyway, the point is, sports fans all they want to do is have their team win. Monroe, we saw this at Penn State. You remember Penn State? That everybody's forgotten about that horrific God, scandal, right? Penn State, where the uh, the what was it? The defensive coach was um, raping boys in the shower.
2: Yeah. And they just looked the other way. What's that? His name started with an S. I can't remember.
1: I can't remember the man. Oh, Sandusky. Very good. Yeah, right. Exactly. Joe Paterno was the head coach. And uh, Penn State fans were mad at the whistleblower. And they defended Paterno. (laughs) I remember used to having conversations with my dear friend, Mick Dumpke, who is a big-time college uh, football fan. We'd be at the Northwestern game. and go, Mick. If this happened at Northwestern would Northwestern treat it the same way and Mick and I were like nah we didn't think so because you know football's not that big in Northwestern Monroe but I don't know I would like to believe as much as I love my beloved Chicago Bulls Monroe I would like to believe that if there was a similar instance with the Chicago Bulls I would say you know what that's 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 terrible call the guy out who cares if we're in the middle of a playoff run
2: you know, it's like if you stop and think about it, it's like Jim Joyner, who is the co- congressman from Ohio. Jordan, yes, Jordan, yeah, Jim Jordan, yeah, Jordan, uh, who um, was silent when uh, one one of the team players, wrestling players, was being harassed and other things, mm-hmm. and he didn't say anything. And, and now it's open; it's openly known. Of course he denies it, but because he's a he's a um Trump nut in Trump land, it's okay. It's all right.
1: Absolutely. Every time I see him I think about that wrestling scandal at Ohio State. And uh You're yeah, you're uh you're you're absolutely right. People look the other way when it's their home team, they don't wanna uh, they don't wanna divert from whatever their mission is. In Jordan's case, it's to uh defend Donald Trump at all. At all costs, at all, just no matter what Trump does. Right. Uh, and in the case of Blackhawk, I really do believe, uh, Monroe, that Blackhawk fans would have been mad, would have been outraged at the, uh, the person raising the complaint. And they'd say he's distracting from the team's mission of winning the championship. And I really don't know where sports writers in this town would stand or any, you know what I'm saying? It's like the team's on the verge of winning. The tin cup—I mean, the Stanley Cup.
2: Well, you know, he, he, this is how they would have played it: was the, the guy who was um, harassed had it coming because he was teasing the coach.
1: <laughs> well, Well, that's th- there. There, there's a possibility they well, would have found it. Which way to
2: too provocatively?
1: <laughs> yeah, he was dressed too provocatively. That's your point. Yes, yes. If they treated a man like a woman, well, you shouldn't. Have worn, you shouldn't have worn that tight T-shirt.
2: Right,
1: exactly. Uh, that's a good point. i hadn't thought of that, but no, I, I, I'm just reading this, and uh, and then the other thing that that gets me, and this, I just have to shake my head. Uh, so when this first, this matter first surfaced. And if it surfaced, I think I want to give credit to WBEZ, Dave McKinney. I want to give him credit. And if he doesn't deserve the credit, I apologize to whichever reporter does. But I think uh, Dave McKinney may have been or if he wasn't the first, he was among the first. Uh, When this story first surfaced, the Blackhawks response was, we deny it all. You know, we deny it. We deny it all. You got to read the Hold on. Ah, got to get my newspapers out here. Oh, yes. The Blackhawks issued a statement May 12th saying, quote, uh, based on our investigations, we we believe the allegations against the organization lack merit. And we are confident that the team will be absolved of any wrongdoing. <laughs> That's what they said. All right. That was in May 12th. I, well, what kind of investigation was that? That was, that was really quick. Did you do anything wrong? Nope, didn't do anything wrong. We just did an investigation. And then it says, however, the Hawks announced June 28th that they had hired Jenner Block to investigate the allegations. And on August 2nd, the team pledged to share the review's conclusions with the public. So in other words, uh, that first investigation they did that uh, enabled them to issue that statement that they did nothing wrong was not much of an investigation. This all has to do, of course, with a lawsuit uh, that's been filed against uh, the Blackhawks. So I don't know, Monroe. It's, uh, by the way, I, I don't, hockey is uh, it's such a weird sport anyway. Uh, it was just like last night. I was uh, going through the sports news on ESPN and the, the highlight of a hockey game were two guys pounding each other. It is only, it's the only sport, Monroe, that openly encourages its players to fight there are no severe consequences fighting like literally drop your stick
2: you've heard that joke um i i I went to a fight last night a hockey game game. Yeah.
1: yeah absolutely weird sport very weird sport uh so i'm not quite sure you know it's like what's your thoughts about this monroe so an organization in this case the blackhawks Uh, is accused of covering up a scandal. Uh, It's accused in a lawsuit. And the Blackhawks first announce that they did nothing wrong and uh, they're going to vigorously combat the charges. In fact, I think they moved to dismiss the case that got this thing going. Uh, And then they decide, whoops, we'll do an internal investigation. So they hire a law firm to investigate what they did wrong. And they come up with a report that uh, absolves some people of any responsibility, which is the people who own the team, and then blame other people who are immediately fired. So what's your thought? Mayor Lori Lightfoot did a similar thing. I don't know if you remember. Uh, she had a, an investigation of what the city knew and when it didn't know it about uh, the police raid on Engineette Young's house. So what's your opinion about people who get in trouble uh, hiring law firms to do independent investigations? that's, do you think, the, go that's ahead.
2: the american way <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do that's what trump does all the time you you get it in the courts and you let it go on and on until the passion is dissipated and the memories have dissipated and then that's the end of it
1: yeah it's a tactic it's what yeah. you're saying it's a tactic yes,
2: yes. that's um, done all the, all the time
1: yeah Anyway, I uh, maybe I'm too hard on Blackhawk fans. Maybe they would have stood up and done the right thing and said, "You know what? We're really glad, Blackhawks, uh, that you came out with this uh, story right in the uh, the eve of our Stanley Cup uh, tournament. Even if it even if it undercuts the Blackhawks' chances of winning the championship, because the truth is what matters. <laughs> I don't think many Blackhawk fans would have said that, Monroe.
2: Well, see, uh, I, I may be wrong, but I I, I suspect that um, most, not all, but most Blackhawk fans are Trump nuts also. And so you're right.
1: Wow. There, you know, I, there is, I presume, a correlation to a certain degree of MAGA support uh, and Blackhawks. Why do you say that?
2: Because I I think that's the mentality. Well, when my friend, John Mm -hmm. White, went to see the Blackhawks in person. Okay. And incidentally, he said the game is much more interesting in stadium than it is on TV. All right. I don't know why, but he he said it was actually interesting. (laughs)
1: I'll take him at his word. He
2: he wasn't booed, but the black player was. That they had, and I don't yeah. know who this player was, but he 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 was surprised to see that there was a black person out there. But he wasn't surprised at how they they treated him.
1: So you say? <clears throat> so your uh, assertion is that you think that uh not every Blackhawk fan is MAGA, right? But every MAGA is a Blackhawk fan. <laughs> you know that old flip
0: flop <laughs> thing,
2: right? <laughs> No, I, I'm saying that um, not every Blackhawk fan is MAGA, but um, most Blackhawk fans have a MAGA mind. <laughs>
1: okay, the views and opinions of Monroe Anderson, strictly those of Monroe Anderson, did not necessarily reflect the. Uh, I know there must be some liberal Blackhawk fans out there. In fact, I know one radical, one lefty who likes the Blackhawks. Anyway, uh, I just think it's a sport. I'm picking on the Blackhawks, but I think in general, it's a sports mentality thing. And I, by the way, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the, the this is this is telling about sports. Uh, Monroe, follow me in this. This is the bias of the sports brain. This reminds me of Colin Kaepernick, and I'll explain. So when the story of the sexual assault first broke. And the, convened a meeting of the mind the mind trust of the Chicago Blackhawks the coach the general manager the team president to discuss it and they came to the conclusion the decision that it would be a distraction that deterred the team from its ultimate goal of winning the Stanley Cup so yeah, they were and, gonna and
2: it would have been I think well that's where I'm I'm asking you yeah you're
1: telling me that the superbly conditioned, athletes who are the top at their field and skating and stick handling could not have put out of their mind for one moment, the fact that their is he? The condition coach was assaulting a player. Do you somehow or other, how would that deter them while they're playing hockey? Do you follow what I'm saying? It's like the argument made with Colin Kaepernick.
2: It's a psychological thing. You know, I mean, you know, it's the, the, athletes are very superstitious for one thing you know if you'll remember uh walter payton wore the same shorts all the time uh-huh. it's just it's just for good luck and so having um learned that the guy that uh, was helping you hold up a, a bell bar might have been having salacious thoughts about you at the same time. Could be a distraction. Well,
1: okay. I think most of the players probably knew that the allegation existed, but what they didn't do is go public with it. Right. So the distraction would have come not from knowing that someone in your organization was assailing somebody else. The distraction would come from having to answer a question about it. And this goes back to Colin Kaepernick. I, I remember Uh, Defenders of the NFL saying at the time, the reason teams don't want to sign Colin Kaepernick is not because he took a knee. It's because his presence on the team would be distraction and they would be incapable of answering all the questions uh, about him taking the knee. And I'm like, what a cop out. It's they don't have that same attitude when it's like somebody who's accused of, I don't know, beating up a woman. You follow what I'm saying? There's going to be questions about that. Somehow or other, the team can handle
2: Well, you know, but that's, that's human nature for sure. Maybe maybe the American way. I mean, if you look at Kyle uh, Rittenhouse, mm-hmm. the, the, the teenager that shot and killed um, two guys, two three, two three guys during the Black Lives Matter protest.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um the judge, is, he, 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 he's going to go, he, he's, he's on trial now, about to go on trial. They're picking the jury. The judge says that um, the people who were shot and killed, the prosecution can't refer to them as victims. That's correct. Imagine if this had been a, a black kid oh, who okay. shot and killed two white guys if that judge would hold the same position, I can't imagine that. Much. Yeah, And I have a pretty good imagination, but um, that one escapes my imagination.
1: All right, let's move into that discussion, move away from uh, the Blackhawks. Although I do think that uh, Colin Kaepernick, those, those excuses were just that made up excuses and that the real reason they didn't put him on the team is they despised the stand he was taking.
2: Yes. Uh, well, and- the the uh, NFL ownership is... Um, very conservative.
1: Yeah. We saw that with John Gruden, uh, the coach, when right. his emails were revealed. Uh, but let's move on to uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, and uh, yeah, so Kyle Rittenhouse uh, is—I think he's 18 now. Yeah. He's on trial, as Monroe said, for uh, killing two people uh, in the uh, during the uh, rioting in Kenosha uh, in the summer. that uh, was—I've lost track of time. Summer of 2020, I guess it was. Uh, after James Blake was shot by Kenosha police. And uh, you're right, uh, Monroe. Uh, this story broke. The judge in that trial says the prosecutors cannot uh, refer to the two victims of the shooting as victims, right. even though they're victims. Right. Uh, but that the uh, defense lawyers can refer to them as looters and rioters. Right. And I'm like, wow.
2: Right. Right. I, I, You know, and there's a defense for him doing that. There's a defense
1: of the judge doing that? Yeah. Go ahead.
2: The defense is the victims. Mm -hmm. Um, Calling them victims will prejudice the mind of the jurors. You know, because Rittenhouse is on, on trial, he hasn't been proven guilty yet. And so. Um theoretically they're not victims um in association with him. It's only after he's been been proven guilty you know that's that's some legal lease. well yeah okay so but, there are but, some... but the other part of of the the um def, d- defense being able to call the victims or mm-hmm. the dead people. Um, looters and rioters, not being able to do that—that's that. That what that does is tell you where the judge's head is. Yeah, you know, that's, that's I mean, if you want,
1: if if you want to defend against any kind of prejudice, right? Then you would want to you would you would instruct lawyers on both sides not to call, not to label any of the participants. You can't yeah, even
2: because all of them had names. Yeah everybody yes. involved, the shooter and the dead all had names. so they could easily just use their names.
1: Yeah. Well, and the argument advanced, just so folks know, the argument advanced by the defense attorneys as to why it would be unfair to call the victims victims is that Kyle Rittenhouse will be advancing the notion that uh, he was, in fact, a victim that, they, that he shot in self-defense. So if you call them victims, it undercuts his defense that he, in fact, was defending himself right. when he shot them. Yeah. They didn't have guns. He had the gun.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. And uh, you're right, Mun- Monroe. You're right. Uh, Sergio Mims has joined us. Sergio Mims has joined us. You're right, Monroe. Let's just finish this up before we bring Sergio on. You're absolutely right. I cannot imagine a similar argument uh, being allowed by a judge in a case where, let's say, uh, a man was justifying his shooting of a police officer on the grounds that he felt his life was at stake.
0: Right. right? Exactly. If right.
2: Saying. Even if it was, yeah. Right. Exactly. But even see, even while we're it. on guns, this uh, and, and now that we have Sergio here,
1: uh, let's bring Sergio Mims, co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival, with us. Sergio well, Mims, with us. Go ahead, Monroe.
2: We, we can go to the uh, rust and the shooting's there but before we do this is what um, what I'd like to point out is that america has a gun fetish and always have we have a gun culture that goes back to the cowboys movies in the 30s and the 40s and 50s i mean there there have been movies where the the gun was has been as romanticized as a a love affair or something i mean you or you just see the gun in the the cylinder spinning or something i mean it's been guns 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 and so at rust we have alec Ball and practicing Pulling the gun because he's, he's a Manhattan person. So, more than likely, he's not that familiar with the guns. And so, he's trying to pull it and practice shooting, and somebody ends up dead. Yeah. We have 30,000 Americans every year ending up dead yeah. from guns. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very common phenomenon, and yet, no no, no gun laws. You know, you had those kids that, uh, of his, those six and seven year old kids, killed and Sandy nothing Hook. came out yeah. of that i mean yeah no yeah you have all these mass shootings and, if, and even if you want to talk about the hijackings that are going on now they're going on with with mainly with teenagers wielding guns to go the carjackings
1: killer. the carjackings
2: yes the so carjackings yes
1: all right uh it's let's bring uh, Sergio Mims on uh, since we're talking movies. He's an expert on movies. He probably knows more about movies than anybody I know. Uh, and he's the co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival. We'll get into that. That's coming up. But Sergio, let's let's deal with this issue right now. Monroe Raisins. It, really, um, i really love to get your thoughts on this. Uh, Alec Baldwin, uh, the shooting on the set of the movie he was making, the Western, he's making Rust uh, where the uh, I guess the, the chief of uh, camera person was, was shot and I've really been struggling with this Sergio you know a lot about movies I don't know why there was a bullet on the set I, I, I've read all these articles that are explaining you know how movies are made and how gunfire is treated in movies and how there's protocol to make sure that the gun is safe I don't know why you need a bullet on the set in any way you know, it's, if it's in a gun, if it's lying on a table, I, I don't understand why you need a bullet anywhere near the, the making of a movie. Please explain to me what, why that was necessary in any way. Go ahead.
3: Well, the answer is that you don't, except in very, very rare occasions. You don't need any live rounds, real bullets in, um, in a gun. So I don't know how that happened. There are still way too many unanswered questions. Like, for example, uh, the story was that Alec Baldwin was practicing. Alec Baldwin has been in a, a ton of movies and he's been in movies where he shot guns. He has used guns before, like the getaway, or I think even mission impossible movies. Um, so I can see him practicing because it's was a Western, and I guess he wanted to practice, what was it like pulling a gun out of a holster in a Western? Because yeah, he's never that. been in a Western before, okay. But why would you do that in front of the director of photography and the director? Doesn't make sense. Um, also, uh, another question is that um, if, uh, when you're on a film set, Guns are handled by the person called the armorer. Mm -hmm. The armorer is the person who handles all the guns and the weapons, even swords. Whatever kind of weapons you need, the armorer handles it. So the story is that the assistant director gave the gun to Alec Baldwin. The gun should have come from the armorer, not from the assistant director. Assistant directors don't handle guns. They can make sure that it's ready, that's one of their jobs, but they actually take the gun? No, that's the armorer's job, because the armorer's responsible for that. Um, another question is that the, the assistant director of the first AD had a notorious reputation of being um, incompetent. Uh, the New York Times had a long, extensive piece about this guy, about, I don't know why he kept getting hired. Um that there were right, complaints right, about him, right about professional what?
2: White privilege.
3: Yeah, I know. I I you know, I I was asking rhetorically, but right. <laughs> okay. Um uh, he was just incompetent. Uh there have been complaints about him, about his unprofessionalism on other sets. So um I'm sorry, there's just too many unanswered questions yet. Um, I know a lot of people want to bring the analogy with um, Brandon Lee, Bruce mm-hmm. Lee's son. But the one I think about is it back in 1981-82, the Twilight Zone catastrophe, where they were shooting that Twilight Zone movie, uh, and that one segment directed by John Landis. Mm-hmm. And with helicopter very low over the ground, with fireball explosions. It's a sequence that took place in Vietnam, a flashback sequence, and the helicopter went out of control, landed on top of uh, the actor Vic Morrow and two children and killed them yeah. in a really horrible way. So um, these incidents are very, very rare. I know there's talk about banning guns on set. Yeah, good luck. Or, um using prop guns, these prop guns already. And if you're if you notice, they actually really use blanks nowadays. Usually, what you see is digital flash coming out of guns, yeah. And and um, which I've always kind of hated, you know, but because it does look phony to me. Uh, you and, can it, tell the difference. Oh, I can. Oh, sure, I can in a minute, but um. Like, no, wait,
1: time like, out. Defy Bloods. You came on the show. We did a whole segment on Defy Bloods. There was a lot of shooting in Defy Bloods, which was, a I thought it was a really good movie that came out last summer. Um, or maybe two summers ago. I've lost track of time. Are you telling me you could tell whether that was digital, enhanced fire, fi- gunfire coming out, or it was blanks? Yeah, sure. Easy. You could tell?
3: Yeah. Okay. You know how, because... In real life, guns don't make that kind of flash. They don't. Unless you put a full clip. I mean, I mean a full blank clip in a gun. They don't make that kind of large flash. Yeah. They don't. And when it's digital, it's too big. Mm. It's too big. And also the the reacting the reaction of the actors is forced because they're trying to pretend like there's a real recall. When there really isn't, I I can tell, you know, it's
1: so you're sort of making the argument from an artistic point of view, why you need a real gun on the set.
3: Well, well, here's the thing. Okay, when you're doing a scene with guns, okay, Mm there is a fake gun and there is a prop gun. The fake gun is like a plastic gun, very realistic looking. Yeah. It's a a, a, it's a fake gun. It does not fire. And usually that's given to the actor before he uses, he holds a gun in a scene. So he can get the feel of it, the weight of it, how to hold it. Before shooting starts, you take the prop gun, you take the fake gun, you give him a prop gun that shoots blanks. And then also you never, of course, fire towards somebody. You never ever do that. When you see somebody firing in a the movie, they're firing towards an empty space or plexiglass or bulletproof glass. You never fire in anybody. And then you see the person getting, you know, then you see the person getting hit. So, once again, I don't really understand how Alec Baldwin was practicing firing a gun in front of the, in front of the uh, camera, uh, the director of photography, the woman who was killed, mm-hmm. and the director who was injured. I don't understand that. He should have been practicing in an open field, uh, with a director watching or the stunt coordinator, uh, and the armorer. Yeah. So I, I and and also this also shows um what's been going on in um a lot of film production, and this is why the film union, IASTE, the International Alliance of Theatrical and Stage Employees, almost went on strike two weeks ago. Now they ratified the contract, but they, but they, sorry, they, they agreed on a contract, but the members haven't voted for it yet. And IASTE IS, is is the union that handles everybody: cameramen, assistant cameramen, grips, gaffers uh armorers, uh, lighting people, everybody except directors, producers, and writers and actors, okay? They almost went on strike because all these streaming services are making crews working longer, harder, for less money. Yeah. And they are worn out. They're doing 16-hour days. They got to turn around. And the unions say, that's enough. And this was I believe a Netflix show. Netflix and Hulu and all these people, they're driving crews hmm. to the end of exhaustion. Because there's all this content they got to make. The too many the too many damn Streaming services. There are too many damn shows. Yeah. movies there are too many. Who watches all these <laughs> things? Sergio, I, I got to tell you,
1: I have to tell you. You're, this is a great rant you're about to go on, and I encourage you to go on it uh, because I share your feeling about this, and I've I've come to the conclusion. I just watched Squid Games, which I don't know if you've seen. I don't think Monroe. No, I seen, I've seen it the
3: original, which is called Battle Royale.
1: <laughs> how did i you i can't even get these words out you knew that squid games is you saw the the original meaning a movie or a, a tv show no,
3: it's a, there's a movie there's a movie okay. japanese movie battle royale extremely grossly violent okay well and,
1: so is squid games by the way but anyway yeah. my point is this squid games i would there, i think there's nine episodes i can't remember let's say there's nine or ten doesn't matter the point is it's there should only be half that so much of it is just fluff that, and this is the case almost in every streaming show even if it's a half hour comedy to get to 10 episodes sergio they have to insert so much fluff so much like dialogue about past incidents that may have affected the characters these moments these recollections about their loved ones scenes scenes with spouses for instance can we just get rid of all scenes with spouses it just absolutely do nothing to propel the plot at all it's just
2: yeah they're nothing like an elmo leonard uh, novel which is just Meat on the mold, that's it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and great dialogue, by the way, the Omar Leonard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's what he specializes. So you, yeah. you'll have a scene for just an excuse to hear the great dialogue. But uh, so that's why you talk about all uh, um, the, the shows being made, this pumping it out. Not only are they making a lot of shows, the shows are inflated.
3: Well, the lot of people have made that comment. You're not the first person to say that. You're not. but the point i was trying to make is that uh because you have all these crews working so hard and they're getting exhausted mistakes are bound to happen yeah and that's was the case it was a unfortunately it was a fatal mistake but that's what happened so um um is, is There's still, like I said, there are too many questions yet to be answered. There's still all, what what are the legal ramifications of what happened? It's still not clear yet. Is Alec Baldwin responsible? Is is assistant director for sure is in big trouble. That's for sure. The first AD, yeah. whose name I cannot remember now. He's in huge trouble. Yeah. But Netflix could be liable. Um Alec Baldwin is the producer of the show. Well, I'm sure one of many on the show. Producers are liable. Um this is a big mess. Yeah. And, and it's a- going to go on for some time. I expect legal action to happen within the next few weeks. Somebody's yeah. going to file a suit to somebody somewhere. Yeah. And it'll uh, go on from there.
1: All right. Uh, by the way, as as you were speaking, it f- uh, flashed across the screen, news break. The aldermen on uh, the Chicago City Council have voted uh, to pass Mayor Lori Lightfoot's budget. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot barely won last year. Her budget uh, passed by I think, one one or two, three votes, something like that. And this one was pretty overwhelming. Uh, Can
3: I say something right here at this point? I <laughs> want to congratulate you for all the years of the reader. Oh, thank you. And uh, um And also give a shout out to the reader, 50 years. Fifty years, Bob Roth, the visionary. Can you imagine the visionary? The visionary, as he was calling the article, the visionary. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean I, disrespect. I know we.
1: No, don't that's it. Bob Roth is a, a good friend of Sergio, so he's laughing at his good friend being called a visionary. Uh, I got to give Roth a lot of credit. Well, we
3: all know him. We all know Bob. Yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, Bob Roth and his pals from college. Uh, created the reader way back in 1971 before I had anything to do with it. Uh, and it was like another 13 years before I came along. Uh, and uh, yeah, they uh put together man, what a what a what a just a thriving prod uh product they put together. And I put it, I wrote a story about this surgery. Now we're in a tangent with it, a tangent, Monroe's laughing Yes, I read it, right? Yeah, but I talked about back in those days, I worked for uh the uh chicago reporter which is was a newsletter dedicated to promoting healthy uh integration wow what a thought just to think about that something dedicated to integration which nobody cares about anymore uh, anyway so once a month john mcdermott who ran that publication would invite a distinguished person from chicago civic circles to come talk to us the staff for lunch one time that distinguished person, and I'm not making this up, was Monroe Anderson. Monroe, a young Monroe Anderson, very looking very dapper, came over from the Chicago Tribune. I was in awe of him then, those days, Sergio. Can you believe that? And Monroe sat there. And you know what? I told him his story. He's sitting there, being really quiet. And it, I go, What a great honor it was to have you. And he goes, Well, in those days, I got paid
2: $50 or something yeah, like 35. that. <laughs> $35. $35 a public appearance. That's the only reason he did it, Sergio.
3: <laughs> he, he still gets paid $35 for a public appearance, right? Well, that's $35 more than he gets for being on my show. That's <laughs> well, I, and also I want to I want to congratulate Monroe because there's this wonderful documentary that premiered at Chicago National Film Festival, Punch Nine. Yeah. Vote for Harold Washington, which is great about the Harold Washington years. Monroe is all over that documentary. Right, there's, even, there's even a scene of that legendary debate between Washington and Washington. And Richie Daly and Jane Byrne, and there is his young, <laughs> <laughs> kid, Monroe Anderson. Looks like he's on his way to the high school prom. Oh my
1: God, your story. So right. Monroe Anderson, man, we're really, when he was 40, he looked like he was 12. I mean, the guy had a
3: baby face, right, Sergio? <laughs> I, I didn't recognize him at first. said, that kid in the movie. <laughs> it's
1: a, it's a oh Lord! <laughs>
2: and, and that's that was my when I saw the movie uh, last week. That was my first time seeing that. That that question that I did.
1: What was the question? It was a, It was um. Uh, what was the question you asked? I haven't seen the movie. Punch Nine. I'm dying to see it. I have not had an opportunity to see it. Well, Maybe it'll be at uh, Black Harvest Film Festival. We'll find um, out. Uh,
3: it, it, it probably will be at the film center. Um, not with Black Harvest. We tried to get it. We were supposed to show it last year, but it wasn't ready. Uh. But, um... um I I think the film center, I think the film center is is bringing it in December or maybe January.
1: Well, I have to wait to December to see it, but Monroe, what was the, this was a big moment. Ladies and gentlemen, you youngsters out there don't realize it was a a pivotal primary election, three-way race, uh, mayor Byrne, mayor, Jane Byrne, the sitting mayor, uh, Richie Daly. Yes. That Richie Daly, who was your mayor, you elected him five times Chicago. Uh, this is before, uh, he was the mayor. He was the Cook County state's attorney and Congressman Harold Washington. And what a great debate it was, Harold mopped the floor with them yeah. what was the what was the question I that you asked i
2: don't I didn't remember before I saw the movie, and I don't remember now <laughs> because I was so surprised that that was my first time seeing it, yeah, and i hadn't i've long forgotten what the question was, but actually, it was a pretty good question. It was better than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> And the way it was answered is both Byrne and Daly ducked and dodged it. And Harold comes in and he says, um, I'll tell you what the answer to that is, because neither one of them did. (laughs) And he he just (laughs) ran.
1: (laughs) No, this this, uh, Monroe talked about white privilege a little while ago, uh, Sergio. Uh, And let me just say this. I was just a kid who had just moved to Chicago and I took a look at Harold Washington, Richie Daly and Jane Byrne on a debate stage. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? This is, this is, there's no choice here. The smartest, most charming, most charismatic, most articulate, uh, uh, directly answering questions. Guy with a vision for the, for the future of the city is obviously Harold Washington. Uh The fact that, 90% 90% of white Chicago disagreed with me? Did, elevated Richie Daly and Jane Byrne I mean, to that st- stature? To, like Just, they voted for them over Washington? Just showed you. To me, it
3: was like, wow, this is deep. This well, deep one, one, moment. Go ahead. One, one of the most remarkable moments in, in the movie is they interview Bernie Epton's son. In the film. Jeff Epton. Yeah, and he breaks down crying talking about that campaign that his father ran. I mean, the the ugly racist tone. I mean, what's the tone? The ugly racism of that campaign. You know, vote for Epton before it's too late. And he breaks down crying, you know, because he cannot believe this is what his father did. Yeah. Um, either, either he figures... Um this is not the father I knew when no, he did this. Yeah. No, you know, no, it's no. like he, either he either he really believed this all this time and I didn't know it no, growing was, out, there, or he's so cynical, no, there so were, cold, cold calculating that he went ahead and did this. No, no.
2: no, Bernie um had some psychological problems by that time because during the during the course of the election a black nurse, I think it was from um, Michael Reed's hospital, uh, released the, um, the information on his health condition. Uh-huh. And I think that's why the son was so upset still, because that wasn't his father's normal behavior.
3: Uh, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, and, um, and um, Epton's grandson and my son, were Whitney Young together and they were very good friends, which I thought was interesting.
1: Well, I mean, I'm going to give a shout out to Bernie Epton and uh Sergio, you appreciate this. Sergio, we talk about this all the time. Born and raised in Hyde Park, and Bernie Epton was a Hyde Parker, he yeah. was a, a legitimate moderate Republican in those days. Such an animal existed, Monroe, a real yeah. moderate Republican, right. marched with Dr. King, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, there were Republicans who believed in civil rights, and not making this up, ladies and gentlemen, it was just before MAGA, and before Trump, and Bernie Epton was of that ilk. And in the in the old days uh, when we had a primary system, the Democratic mayor, the person who won the Democratic nomination in the city of Chicago, was considered the overwhelming favorite, and the Republicans just put up a candidate just to for, like just to have someone on the ballot. And so Bernie Epton, if he had run against Richie Daly or Jane Byrne, would have been swamped. It would have been like 80% for uh, for Dem- Byrne or Daly and 20% for Epton. And I might have voted for Bernie Epton over Richie D- I probably would have voted for Bernie. And young Sergio Mims and Monroe Anderson probably would have voted for Bernie Epton over Richie Daly. if Daly voted was
2: for a- Bernard Epton. I mean, Kerry. Carey. Bernard Kerry
1: Bernard- Carey in 1980. Yeah. Over, so did I. And yeah. so... But Harold Washington emerged and overnight Bernie Epton, that avuncular moderate Republican just as Sergio was saying morphed into MAGA, pre-MAGA this is pre-MAGA MAGA MAGA. and just like went with it before it's too late before it's too late
3: late. and here's the thing I I think if if there's one flaw with the movie Mm -hmm. is that when it covers the election it doesn't really really capture the intensity of that moment because we all remember it was this city was a tinderbox about to explode
1: yeah
3: i mean you could feel it in the air i mean everybody was on pins and needles that election between washington and bernie epton um was um, caused a lot of sleep for night, I'm telling you. It was it was so fraught with tension at that time.
1: Well, Monroe, you could talk about this, your dear friend Leonina McLean who was a columnist for the Chicago Tribune. Another person who John McDermott, brought, by the way, brought to one of our uh, luncheons. Sergio, you're pretty much the only person that did not get invited to one of our luncheons back <laughs> there. Uh, it, it, Clarence
2: Page was a... He would have been a gay crasher. So. <laughs> 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 he would have, have shown up there. Kind of, who are that's true. If I knew about yeah. it, I would have shown up. You would have showed yeah, up, man, yeah. For free lunch. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. free
1: lunch, delicious lunch. Shout out to Helena Appleton who was uh, the executive Secretary, and she is a great, uh, a dear woman. Uh, passed on a few years back, and she would make the lunch, a delicious lunch. Uh, and uh, but anyway, Lena McLean came, and Lena McLean, Lena McLean was a very talented columnist for the Chicago Tribune. Monroe could talk about this, Sergio. Coming out of what you're saying, she saw that hate. She saw that visceral white reaction against Harold Washington, and it it she she expressed in her columns how difficult that was to accept and acknowledge just like in the workplace Monroe and you were there Monroe, you were at the Tribune, an all white environment in the midst of this campaign. You know what it was like.
2: Yes. Uh, (laughs) and leading McLean
1: later took her life. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was out there Monroe. It was real.
0: Right.
2: Oh, it was ugly. When I wrote my, I, when I wrote the op-ed page piece, um, predicting that the next mayor would be black. And this was this was almost sacrilege to do this in the first place, but I got a um, a letter from a reader, and um, I opened it. It's my column that he's cut out of the paper, and in a in a black uh, permanent marker, he wrote bullshit. Wow! Wow! And as it turned, and of course, I turned out to be right.
1: That was mild. What I thought you were said he was going to write on.
2: Uh, on oh his... no, I got some of that too. But you oh, know, you did? Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. I, I I got some of that. And in fact, in the movie, uh, who who was the uh, who who was who who was the black guy who who produced direct the movie with um, Joe Winston? Do do you know Sergio?
3: Oh, you mean Raymond Lambert?
2: Yeah, yeah. I was talking to him. He said that they had a he and Joe Winston. Had a heated argument on whether they should have me saying about at, at the church that it said "die nigger," and uh, Joe chose to just show it, but not have me say it. Uh-huh. Uh, they cut it out in my because in my interview, I said that um, they they had spray painted on the church "die nigger." Uh, um, so I, I think Joe was trying to tone it down some that's the only thing I can figure out
1: hmm. well it's hard to tone down that election that was yeah, and then and, and Sir, Sergio Monroe you get a kick out of this uh, so that really was I mean my first like real face to face encounter with Chicago racism and so many I've told this story so many times so many black people go oh it took you that long right. <laughs> it took you that but you know i'm a white guy from Evanston. yeah we sergio white people in Evanston talk like that it's a you know what it's like a liberal town you know they they may do it in their home with the door shut but they don't do it publicly in a church Mm -hmm. and i was like wow (laughs) this is something else man uh all right uh let's uh Let's shift okay, gears. Wait
2: a while, while we're talking about me, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I want to um, just point out that Friday, I, I was uh, aw- or awarded a um, distinguished alumni from the Media School of Indiana University. And it was a very nice event uh, and Uh, for somebody who never there's only two black people um in the journalism department when i was there in the the late 60s something i never dreamed that would actually happen but it it did so that was great
1: a shout out to by the way uh sergio monroe and i have like opposite lives so monroe grew up in gary and never looked toward no white people Right, he never met a white person really. I think Monroe maybe a teacher here or there until uh, he I went
2: two two white teachers in my career, one third grade, one tenth grade, and that was it. That's it.
1: Wow! Yeah. Just imagine that uh, Sergio is a product of Kenwood High, very integrated school, white teachers, white kids, black kids, black teachers, etc. Um, just the thought, you know, Monroe went through an all-black segregated Gary, Indiana public school system and did not meet a white person until he got to University of Indiana. Now, Monroe, did they put all the black kids in the same section of the dormitory at Indiana?
2: No, 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 no. It, it, was, a, it was integrated. I, um, it wasn't that many of us. 30-some uh, 30 thousand, 32,000, I think, students, 600 blacks uh-huh. on campus.
1: Yeah, that must have been quite experienced. So congratulations uh, to Monroe. And-, uh, and,
2: and what's really interesting is... Um, Stephen Lucas, who is who was Lester's uh, news director, Lester Holt, mm-hmm. uh, also got an award. Rooted two blacks out of six, out of uh, five people.
1: No, you were there at the same time.
2: He, no, he was there ten years after me.
1: Oh, he's younger than you.
2: But he but he graduated from Gary Roosevelt also. So Gary, was, was, was <laughs> <laughs> Gary was represented
1: Gary was represented the other great graduate of Gary Roosevelt is Junior Bridgman uh, a name that I'm the only one who knows a great basketball player alright Monroe uh, and Sergio let's talk about uh, vaccine mandates and I'd love to get both of your opinions on this I've been talking a lot about it uh, on this show and talking about the showdown between uh, John Catanzaro the head of the Fraternal Order Police and Mayor Lori Lightfoot over whether police officers should be required not to get the vaccine but just to tell the city whether they've received the vaccine and uh, so I'm going to ask Monroe for his thoughts on this first and then uh, Sergio get your thoughts on this Monroe take it away
2: I think that it should be mandated or required whatever you want to name it that all police get vaccinated Uh, because if they aren't vaccinated Then you still can, as a a member of the public, you can have an encounter with them. You can't. You can't necessarily avoid the police. They show up at very inopportune times, lots of times, to give you a a, a ticket for running a stop sign or whatever. I mean, you can always. uh, You can't ever depend on not seeing a cop, and so they have to. They they should be all vaccinated, so they won't infect you period wow. okay it, it shouldn't be and, and this nonsense about them being f- forced to do it or something they force you in their job they force you to do all sorts of things willy-nilly so there's no reason why they should not be required to to protect serve and protect you and also they have all sorts of things that protect them um, bulletproof vest uh They they have different things they have for their personal protection, and yet, the more more policemen in this nation have died from COVID than have from being shot.
1: That is true. New York Times uh, did a story about that. A couple in in the uh, in the last since COVID broke out, uh, I think it's over four hundred fifty deaths by law enforcement officers, police officers have died of uh, COVID related. These uh, conditions. All right, uh, Sergio, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, as Monroe mentioned, this incredible hypocrisy. Policemen are supposed to serve and protect. So, um, isn't protecting us getting vaccinated? You don't want to do it, then quit. Um, I don't know if you saw um, John Oliver' his show uh, last week tonight. The show that comes on. HBO. He should just mm-hmm. quit then. It, you don't want to get the vaccine, quit. See if you can try to find another job. And let's face it, the only real reason why the police are doing this, and that head of the police union, um Cat and Zero. Yeah. Every time I see him, you know what he calls black people behind closed doors. I, every time I see him, I can tell. You know, or whether doors are open. It's very obvious. Okay, now um, here here here's the situation. Um, oh gosh, what was I gonna say um, about, about this? Uh, basically, the cops are giving the middle finger to people they don't like. They're giving the middle finger to like those college educated, Volvo driving, latte drinking. You know, lakefront liberals it's,
2: it's who Prius now. It. What? It, it's Prius driving now. now oh, sorry.
3: Well they still drive Volvos.
2: <laughs> yeah, Is but I word? mean the 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 really um the, the really stereotypical liberals are now driving Priuses, not Volvos.
3: Right. But that's <laughs> what they're doing. They can't it's all maga. These maga guys, they're maga guys. You know they can't stand the idea that somebody is doing better than they can, and this is the way to giving a finger. Now, if they want to die, get seriously ill and die, well, giving a finger, well, that's that's their right. They can do it. You know, I'm I'm the kind of person. Everybody who hasn't been vaccinated and you want to um, say it's about your freedom and everything, my feeling is go ahead. Don't get vaccinated. Don't come crying, as many of them have, when you're sick and in the hospital and dying. I'm sorry. I'm all out of sympathy for you. Or as I like to say, let's send the herd.
1: All right. So since you said this, each of you have taken uh, this hard stand. Uh, I'm going to switch it from police officers in Chicago uh, who, again, it's not even they don't even want to tell the city whether they've been vaccinated. And I'll switch it to Kyrie Irving. Uh, who is one of the great basketball players in the NBA, plays for the Brooklyn Nets, will not be playing this year because he refuses to get vaccinated. And there is a law in New York City that says that if you're not vaccinated, you cannot enter. You cannot enter uh, the arena, the Barkley Arena, where the uh, Brooklyn Nets play or Madison Square Garden, where the New York Knicks play. So as a member of the Brooklyn Nets, he can't enter the arena. That's half the games he can't go to. And so the Brooklyn Nets said, you know what? We're just not going to deal with this as a distraction. Don't come. So he won't. Play And yet, Sergio Mims and Monroe Anderson, because of the position taken by the NBA and the Players Association, he's still entitled to half his salary. He will get $17 million for not playing this year. That's half his salary. He has to forfeit the, the money he would get. Uh, that he would get because he's refusing to go to games at the Barclays Center, essentially. But in other arenas where there are no mandates keeping you out of the arena for for being vaccinated, he'll be paid. What's your thoughts about that, Sergio Mims?
3: Uh, By the way, before anything else, how do you pronounce his first name?
1: Kyrie. K-Y-R-I-E.
3: Okay, if you know the Catholic Church, the Mass, it's Kyrie. Kyrie Eleison, Christy Eleison, Kyrie Eleison.
1: Okay, you tell that to uh, Mrs. or Mr. Irving, but uh, that's how he pronounces it. Anybody anyway, like you who's,
3: listening who's Catholic, you know, it's Kiri, it's Kyrie.
1: Is it spelled Kyrie. the same way?
3: Yes, Kiri, Eleison. Kyrie Kiri, Christine Christian, you, you mean like Cairo, Illinois? Yeah, it's it's out of it's it's on the Catholic, it's on the Mass, the Catholic Mass.
1: Okay. I, but he spells his name KYRIE,
3: it's spelled the same way, but he oh, called okay. Kyrie. It's pronounced yes, us, Well, correctly, it's pronounced <laughs> Not I mean, only is he missing a half a season, he's mispronouncing his, his name. name, right? <laughs> Anywho, um, <laughs> fine. If it's worth him to lose all that money to not get vaccinated, fine. That he loses all that money, you know. He's, but he's I'm still getting not- paid.
2: This Personally, is the
1: part that gets
3: to I, me. I he's still seven, getting
2: paid. Go ahead, I'd take Seventeen million. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I would take the seventeen million
2: I would too. Take the other half that he's not. I did
3: right. I would too.
1: I'm, I'm just like Bibles my mind. I'm, I'm. Listen, I'm not saying if someone's going to give me seventeen million dollars just to sit at home. I'm with Charles Barkley in this one. He went on a total rant about this.
2: Yeah, like yeah, if, I know Barkley. That's funny, but Barkley is smarter than you are. <laughs> Stop. it. <laughs> Barkley is absolutely,
1: and by the way, this is something else, uh, Monroe and Serge. I don't know neither of you are sports fans, but this is a generational thing when you get to the NBA. All the older retired players are looking at Kyrie Irving in utter disbelief that he would not get vaccinated. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Charles Barkley, Michael yeah. Jeffrey Jordan. They are like, are you kidding me? Uh, you're, y- Magic Johnson, add him to the list. Like, you're not playing because you don't want to get vaccinated? They're like angry at it on two oh. levels, Sergio. Oh, yeah. he, co-
2: he compared himself to Muhammad Ali. Uh,
1: and which, what was your reaction to that, Monroe?
2: <laughs> no comparison whatsoever. Ali had skin in the game. Or didn't have skin in the game, how you want to look at it. He, you know, he put his career yeah. at risk right. for a principal. Not for something stupid. Uh, and not only that, he didn't get $17 million. Right. Yeah, He lost money. Yeah. He, he lost lo- anything. Yeah. yeah.
3: Uh, that you one. Know, it's it's on. like that, um, that football. Oh, what's his name? I forgot. The football player who, you know, became persona grata because he took a knee. What's his Callen name? Colin Kaepernick. We already talked yeah, about Kaepernick. him. Colin Kaepernick. And I yeah. said, okay, fine, but he's not a lead. He's not a lead. I mean, a lead a bullet. I mean, he like lost a lot of years. He could have. Yeah. I mean, really, he at the height of his career. Really, there. at the height of his career. Right. For a real, for a principled stand, you yeah. know. Well, and I, I don't think there's any comparison. I don't yeah. think there's no comparison. No, there is. So when people talk about Colin Kaepernick, I said, okay, fine, but he's he's not league you know, and this other guy, Kyrie, or whatever whatever he wants to pronounce his name. Believe me, he's no Ali either. I oh, he's me. definitely. I mean, you could say that Colin Kaepernick is at least in the same
1: general grouping as Muhammad Ali. Like, uh, well, uh, but even so, I mean, uh, uh, there was only one Muhammad Ali, and it's it 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 doesn't serve any purpose. But Kyrie Irving. I just can't get over this, is getting paid $17 million. I almost feel sorry for Chicago police officers. If you take a stand you quit, you don't get any
2: money. No one's giving you, you any a, money. You get a job with the Indiana State Police.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Monroe, your
1: home state, man. Right. Oh, my
2: God. <laughs> no, because oh, Lord. Know, that's what Indiana's doing. They're saying yes. any, anybody who leaves the Chicago police force Uh, Because they don't want to get vaccinated, can come work with the Indiana State Police, and they'll give them five hundred bucks a signing bonus too.
1: (laughs) Indiana man. No wonder Monroe left. By the (laughs) way, I I
3: didn't know. I didn't know anything about this. Blackhawk situation, too. You two guys were talking about it. I heard a thing. about Well, that's why. Okay. I have read my, about it. That's what I yeah. meant.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you right now. This is one of my favorite topics, uh, Sergio. There are people who are obsessed with sports, and nothing, nothing that's sports related escapes their detection. And then there are people who aren't in the sports. And there's a lot of people like this in my life. And it's like there's a cone around their brain that protects them from any sports information. Remember those (laughs) those that that's that space war thing that uh, uh, that uh, Reagan came up with, like incoming missiles will be shot down by. And that's how it works. So if sports information comes towards you, you have like a missile that comes out of your head, kills it. So you'll never have to deal yeah, no. The, I had no idea. Yeah, well, the the Blackhawks. That's uh.
3: Well, it's, it's right. like it's like this thing you've written. up. You see, I only know because you've written about it about the Bears yeah. and this new stadium. <laughs> and I was I was like, I don't know a lot, but are the Bears that good? They can get a brand new stadium?
1: No, they're terrible. They're this big. is what you should know about the Chicago Bears. Don't get they're, me started on this topic. They're, they're god awful. They're
2: rich, <laughs> they can do it. Yeah, they, in fact,
1: there was an article in the Sun-Times today uh, where the head of the Civic Federation, I forget his name at the moment, was arguing that, please do what you can, Mayor Lori life to keep the Bears in Chicago. And I'm like, that's the downtown civic community speaking, uh, Sergio Mims. And uh, they think that it's more important to the future of the city of Chicago that the Bears have a stadium to play in. than let's say, I don't know, at Kenwood High School can f- have a computer class or something like that. It's <laughs> The, the priorities in this town never. Well, how much
3: money does do the Bears bring to Chicago every year? I don't know.
1: I don't know. And I don't think he knows. And I don't think anybody yeah, knows. No, there's
2: a lot. That's a lot because the people from the suburbs come in and some of them uh, stay overnight at hotels. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of them eat out at Monroe. The, that's eight games a year. I know that's eight games
1: a year. I don't know how many people from the suburbs come in you got a, got a lot of people eating at a lot of restaurants to make up for like a billion dollars or whatever it's going to cost to build the the Bears their stadium. I mean, that's the Bears only have eight home games oh, a I year.
2: No, as I mentioned here before, Royko did a, did a column about it and he said it was the most expensive TV set. <laughs> that's in <the> right. <laughs>
1: All right, Sergio, let's uh, end the show with you uh, promoting the Black Harvest Film Festival. As Monroe Anderson has said many times, the greatest film festival in the city of Chicago. Uh, Finally, so...
3: Monroe says something right.
2: <laughs> 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 uh, uh, on the south side. <laughs>
1: it's actually technically on the north side. The yeah, Black down Harvest festival. Yeah, exactly. It's downtown, but this it's north of period. Madison. Uh, anyway, uh, tell us uh, what we need to know. Go ahead.
3: Well, this is... Believe it or not, this is the 27th year, 27th year. Mm. Um, uh, We did a smart thing, actually, turned to be a smart thing. Uh, When we were planning the festival this year, usually we're in August. And uh, when we were planning the festival, because it takes a year to put it together, we were debating, should we do it in August or should we, you know, hold up until... um, Later in the fall, because we didn't know what the situation would be like. Boy, did we make a smart decision. Yeah. <laughs> so it starts uh, next Friday, November 5th, continues to December 2nd. We have somewhere between 40 and 50 movies that we're showing. Um, New films, new documentaries, uh, retrospectives. We have a Gordon Parks retrospective this year. We're doing, uh, we, of course, we're showing Shaft in 35mm. We are doing the uh, a 50th anniversary screening, of Sweet Sweetback Badass Song by Melvin Van Peebles. And actually, we were planning that before the news came that he passed. That, and and that's, uh, uh, that'll be also on 35mm. And then uh, we're doing a 30th anniversary screen on closing night of Jungle Fever. Mm. Still working on gifts. Okay. Um, opening night is something different. Now, usually on opening night, we start. We usually show a series of shorts films that we show in the festival. This year, we are going to be showing a brand new feature documentary about Diane Warwick called um, Dionne Warwick, Don't Make Me Over. It premiered at the uh, Toronto Film Festival back in September, and this will be the Chicago premiere of it. And we're very, very excited. The director will be there in person. I can't make any guarantees that Dionne Warwick will be there, though her people have told us they're, they're working on it. But we don't know. What date is that? That's November 5th.
1: And are other tickets available for that, or is that absolutely
3: sold out? tickets are available now? Uh, festival passes are available now. Individual tickets are available now. Uh, also, we're doing a sneak preview of the new um, Will Smith movie King Richard, in which he plays Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena. Yeah, which is a two and a half hour movie, by the way, folks. So you know, the the one you know, that's on the 17th we'll be showing that movie. We're showing a brand-new 4K restoration of Chameleon Street, um, Wendell Smith's uh, movie in which he plays the infamous con man Douglas Street, who impersonated a doctor, impersonated lawyers, even impersonated a surgeon and performed 36 hysterectomies. Oh my. Even though he never went to a hospital, he never mm. went to medical school. How, how uh, it's a true them, story. How many of them died? That I don't know. I don't did think that. any of them did.
1: Wait, time out. Know. Is that a, uh, a feature film or a documentary? Oh, it's a
3: feature film. It, it was originally, it, 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 it won best place at the uh, Sundance Film Festival in 1991. And um, so it's been rarely seen. By people, it didn't really get much. It, it it didn't get much of a any kind of release after it came out, but it had a huge cult following. And as I said, uh, it has been recently. There's a new 4K restoration, and we're showing that. It's showing right now in New York, and we're going to be showing it in Chicago on the 18th, I believe. Yeah, the 18th. Wait, and what's the name well, of that movie again? It's called Chameleon Street. Yeah. Now. Uh, if you want any, any information, please go to ciscofilmcenter.org. That's S I S K E L, ciscofilmcenter.org. It's right across the street from Chicago Theater on State Street. Mm-hmm. And I implore you, really, if you see anything you like, make sure you get your ticket ASAP because tickets do, uh, it, the shows do sell out. Mm. And you don't want to be that person. who's hanging around the box office asking if anybody had a spare ticket. Because it happens all the time. Uh, I mean, we have so many movies and panels and discussions. And last year, we we did... hmm? How much is a season
2: ticket, you know, for the entire festival? I, I
3: believe it's
2: $80. Yeah, okay.
3: I mean, for a pass. Yeah, yeah, for a pass. Yeah, for a pass. Okay, uh, individual tickets I think are twelve dollars. Now, here's the thing. Um, as, as I said, tickets sell out fast. Last year, uh, we did a streaming festival. That's what everybody did—a streaming yeah. thing. Okay, and it worked fine. You know, we got better numbers than we thought, and we considered it a success. But now we're back in the theater. We're back in the Cisco Film Center, and we wanted to come back big. And this is the biggest collection of movies. Um, even in what going on through right now, I'm surprised at the number of submissions we got and the movies that were out there that we solicited. Oh, Attica, um, Stanley Nelson's new documentary about the Attica ride, 19, 1971, 50 years ago. 50 years ago. It is brilliant and uh, we have always shown Stanley Nelson's work like Vanguard's of the Revolution about the history of the Black Panthers his films always sell out and they're always in demand so Attica is amazing Really amazing! So, like I said before, go to the website ciscofilmcenter org and get your tickets. What's the, what's, the COVID,
2: what's the COVID protocol at the Cisco? Yeah. C- well, good you'll
3: question. be you'll be asked for. Um, I'm glad you asked that. Good. Uh, see, he really must be a reporter. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good right. question. <laughs> <laughs> and all this time, I thought he was just fooling. Okay. So anyway. Um,
2: Oh, no. actually, I I, 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 I'm a film journalist in disguise. Okay, yeah. oh,
3: okay, okay. okay. <laughs> okay. Low bow, low. That's, that's low down, low down. So anyway, what? what oh, what's the protocol is this. Um, the, the, the. the, uh, the the, the art, like all the art institute in the complex, uh, you'll be asked for your vaccination card mm-hmm. or proof that you have passed a negative COVID test within the last 72 hours. That's that's the protocol.
2: Okay, do you have yeah. to wear a mask when you're watching the movie
3: or no? I believe you do.
1: Yes. I, th- yeah. I believe. Uh, I know this because I'm going to the Bulls game tomorrow and uh, you're, unless well, for the Bulls game, unless you're eating or drinking... Uh, you have to have the mask on. They let you do that. Uh, so I guess if you're eating popcorn, I I actually don't know if you're allowed to eat popcorn in a, a movie theater. But yes, you have to wear. Yes, a mask. you
3: are. Oh, people eat all the time in movie okay. theaters. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, I've seen movies by the way, uh, Sergio. Since in the last couple months, I've actually gone to movie theaters again. And I'm I'm I wrote down. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dion Warwick. I love Dion Warwick. So don't make me over. I'm November fifth. Wrote that down. Um. And I'm hoping you bring in on I mean, my Great. To have you interviewed Dion Warwick would be pretty cool.
3: Yeah. That's, we're, we're, we're down to the wire and even with all festivals, um, they are always last, last minute things down to the wire. So, um, we're working on it, mm-hmm. you know, um, I just cannot make any promises right now. So don't go there and say, Hey, I heard that she was going to be there. You know, no, no, I don't need to see
1: Dion, Dionne Warwick literally in the, th- I mean, it would be great. I want to see the movie, but it would be totally cool if Dionne Warwick were to, uh, to show up. And I would avoid singing my renditions just, of her song. She
3: literally just performed last week in New York. Literally. I saw a picture of it. She performed at sub benefit in New York last week.
1: Oh, did, I did not know that. Um, Great, Monroe. Are you a fan of Dion Warwick or oh, is she? Yeah, of
2: course. Yeah, of
1: course. love Dion Warwick. Always have.
3: So, uh, um, um, oh, I'm sorry, You want to ask a question? What was it? Oh, no, about movies. Right. Yes.
1: I was simply going to say that uh, uh, I urge everybody to go see at least one movie at the Black Harvest Film Festival. Check it out. Uh, I think it's a fantastic film festival. And uh, Sergio and his uh, colleagues, they know their stuff. They put together quite a package. Jungle Fever is a Spike Lee movie. Uh, which I don't know where it ranks. I mean, that's a whole, we could, we could do, you and I could do a whole thing uh, on Spike Lee movies, uh, Sergio, where, where jungle fever ranks. I personally like it a lot. Um, but yeah. I, I get the feeling that it's overlooked by a lot of the critics. Yeah. Go ahead, Monroe.
2: Whatever happened to the black actress that was in that, who didn't get along with Denzel?
3: You mean, um, oh, the black actress. Yeah. Um. Oh gosh, you need. Um. Uh, uh,
2: She's from Chicago. She
3: was from no, 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 no. Are you thinking about? Are you thinking about more Blues? Oh yeah, I am.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah no,
2: you're right. I'm thinking yeah. about more Better Blues.
3: Yeah, you're talking about. Uh, Cinder Williams. Yeah, right, right. I think yeah. she lives here in Chicago. Yeah.
1: But- uh, two different movies, and yeah, uh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: Right. Yeah, right.
1: all right. We're going to uh, end the show for today. Uh, everybody, check out Black Harvest Film Festival, and uh, I'm sure you can find at least one movie in the lineup that you will enjoy, and you go uh, go see it. And uh, Jungle Fever, man, can't wait for that one. Uh, and see who maybe maybe Spike Lee will show up. Who knows? Uh, and uh, Sergio, uh, I can tell Spike. you
3: that he he sent his regards.
1: His regrets, you mean? Uh, right, yeah, regrets. yeah. Right. he said his regrets. All right. I want to thank Sergio Mims. Outstanding job. And, of course, Monroe Anderson every Wednesday on the Benjamin. Oh,
3: and team. hello, Dennis. I didn't mean to ignore you.
1: <laughs> no worries. It's fine. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> Here he is. He's uh, speaking in the corner. Uh, so great job, Sergio Mims. Great job, Monroe Anderson. And, of course, Yes. Uh, thanks to the man, the myth, the legend, Pride of Joe Alton, Illinois. Without whom, the show is be possible. And Dennis will be on the road. Uh, speaking of Alton, uh, going down, his mom had successful surgery. Producer Vicki, uh, God bless you. Get strong. And Dennis is going to go uh, keep her company for a couple days. He will not be here Friday, so we'll have a uh, a sit in. Uh, the great Atiba Buchanan from WVON will be uh, sitting in to do Oh What a Week. Uh, but uh, the doctor. We'll be back in the house next week. Right, D? Yes, sir. Yes, very good. Uh, And as uh, uh, Sergio and Monroe will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.
3: Hey, friends, are
1: you ready? Hey friends, are you ready? Hey friends, are you ready for government to dictate and control your lives? I want an answer. I want an answer. I want an answer. It's
2: not something you ignore. I think you're 100
1: percent what I think. If you think we want a fuck you then. Hey friends, are you ready for government to dictate and control your lives again? You're one step closer. J.B. Pritzker, our tyrannical governor, just issued more mandates today. Friends, that's not right. That's not what government is about. Government is to inform and educate. We decide. God bless you. I want an answer. I want an answer.